This is ESPN New York Tonight. Here's Larry Hardesty. Gordon's away. We'll do it solo again. Love to talk to you. We've got a lot of stuff to talk about. Let's go to work. Join the conversation at 1-800-919-3776. Also via X, formerly Twitter, at Hardesty ESPN, at ESPN NY, 98 underscore 7 FM. Of course, Harvey and Joe ride until midnight on 98.7 ESPN. How you guys doing this evening, a Tuesday evening in the Big Apple? I tell you, I was invested in the Ranger game tonight. You know, when a team is on the streak and coming off that unbelievable outing they had this weekend, Sunday, where they just, I mean, if you were an Islander fan at that game, I, I just can't imagine, I, I can't imagine how you, how you walked away from there. Multiple goal leads. And I get they've struggled this year. We understand. That's why they made the move to Patrick Waugh to try to get him on the right track. And we'll see if he can turn things around enough to get him into the postseason. But they were playing well. And then a hot Rangers team just kept rolling. Shesterkin struggled early. Some say it's the sun. Some say it was playing in front of the net. Some say it's inconsistent Shesterkin. But you found a way to win that one. This is a very good Dallas Stars team. You look at their record, and they're on a four-game trip. Uh, They lost a tough one to Boston in overtime yesterday. And tonight you're wondering what was, you know, what was going to happen. And um, listen, Shesterkin was pretty, pretty good tonight. So the Rangers have now won nine consecutive games. So congratulations to them. They continue to play well. They beat the Stars 3-1. Last goal in empty netter. Uh, Islanders outskated Pittsburgh 5-4 in overtime, and unfortunately Washington outskated the Devils 6-2. Let's talk more about some of the things we're going to chat about inside this edition of ESPN New York tonight as we do our headlines as we do every show. We begin, well, with the New York Knicks, and OG Ananobi speaks. Now you remember the Knicks announced on February 8th that Ananobi had undergone surgery to remove a bone fragment in his right elbow and he would be reevaluated in three weeks. Well, he said today, yeah, we tried other options. We tried rest. We tried treatment stuff. We tried strengthening it. But I think everyone agreed this would be the best option to be 100% moving forward. So he added the injury had been bothering him in January, but he didn't know exactly when it started because there was some thought that maybe he came with it and he was injured when he arrived. You remember he was removed from the lineup after it swelled up ahead of the Nick victory in Charlotte at the end of the month, last month. Now, when will he return? He says for sure he expects to be back on the court with the Knicks before the end of the regular season and in time of the playoffs. But remember, he has not been cleared to practice as of yet. So I don't know when you can expect him. I mean, if it's me, I'm thinking, okay, maybe the end of next month. I think that he and Randall will probably come back together, hopefully. Uh, What was ironic is I saw uh, SNY's Ian Begley, their basketball insider, and he had a report saying that Mitchell Robinson is moving quickly. And from the way uh, Begley was talking, Robinson might be back before uh, Randall or Ananobi. That would be crazy. But listen, the question is going to be until these guys are healthy, and boy, did the All-Star break come in time for the Knicks. Uh, can they? Do they have enough to hold on to at least be competitive? Here's the goal for this Knicks team, right? 
You want to be the third. You don't want to be lower than the third seed. For me, if I'm a Nick player, I want to host a deciding game in my building. That's what I want. The Knicks have been outstanding at home for a change. They've, they've kind of, you know, made the, the garden their home dominance again. They play very well in the garden. They feed off the garden crowd. The bench is great. So we'll see if they can hang on until folks get back. Well, in Brooklyn, GM Sean Mark spoke to the media today after telling Jacques Vaughn, you're fired, and naming UConn, former UConn head coach Kevin Ali as the interim bench boss. Mark said, quote, we're in a results-driven business, end of quote, and, and as to what led to Vaughn's dismissal, he just wasn't happy with the way they performed. They were 15-15 and 15 just after Christmas, 6-18 and 18 since, including that embarrassing 50-point loss to Boston just before the All-Star break. I can't believe it. It doesn't seem like that long ago I was sitting here on this air talking about what a great job Jacques Vaughn was doing with this net team. Like they they were they only had they were maybe record-wise before the Knicks went on that crazy streak. They were maybe a game or two different in record behind the Knicks from how well they were playing. And then things just collapsed. Uh, part of it was injury and part of it they just they just lost. They just stopped playing well. They lost a bunch of games in the fourth quarter. Frank Isola, who was on the show last night, talked about, you know, the fact that they needed a point guard. And everybody knew they needed a point guard. So Sean Marks also said, when you have when you have moved on from a coach, this is quoting Sean Marks. You have to reflect on that and say, what went wrong? What could I have done differently? What could we have done differently? Did we support him enough? Meaning, did they support the coach enough? Did we have the right roster? He added, I absolutely take accountability for that roster. And he should, because he put the roster together. Okay, he did a decent job in getting replacements when they sent Kevin Durant to Phoenix. I mean, Mikael Bridges and, and you know Cam Johnson are very talented players. I've talked about them a lot. I especially like Cam Johnson, his length, his ability to hit the three, Solid defensively, good rebounder. But he had to know that he needed a centerpiece. They do not have, quoting my good friend Dick Vitale, they don't have a primetime player on there. They don't have a superstar that you can go to in the clutch and say, we're riding, take us home. We're riding you to bring us home. Mikel Bridges is not that guy. He's a really good player, very talented guy, very talented player. And the Nets have some pieces on this roster. So what happens going forward? That's going to be the question. Miguel Bridges was on hand this afternoon for a player's perspective as he spoke to the media on what's going on now with the Nets. I mean, things ain't going good right now, and and that's life. You know, you just just kind of see what type of person you are, what type of man you are. And I wasn't raised so when things get tough, you know, to to want to leave and get out and things like that. So. I know a lot of people might think about different situations and teams. With obviously, I got my boys over there in New York and stuff, so obviously everybody goes with that. But you know, I never was the type of guy to ever, you know, put more on my shoulders and things get tough and it's time to cry out and get out. You know, obviously, gonna be frustration and you point to frustration, you get frustrated throughout the season. That's just how how I am and how people are that really wants to win and compete and. Um, but no, definitely, I feel that I'm here now and want to stay here, and I'm going to keep grinding and getting to wherever 
we gotta get you to win and you know that's what i'm here for you know i'm here to win and all the other shit don't mean nothing with the accolades it all comes with it so just trying to win i mean that's Mikael bridges obviously he's referring to some of the comments he made uh that things stuff just wasn't right and that i would assume that comment along with the uh horrible record that the nets have had over their last what uh 24 games being 6 and 18 and clearly the 50 point loss to boston i've always said in my years in covering sports blessed to have that is players can players will tell you when they're done with a coach you could tell over this period and that 50 point loss even though they were right with boston in the first half of that home at home you could see from there that this team was done. They weren't listening to Jacques Vaughn. They were done. They had no faith in him. They told you, Sean Marks, we're not playing for this guy anymore. So really, Sean Marks absolutely had no, no, no choice but to let go of Jacques Vaughn. Speaking of teams who are struggling, St. John's men's basketball coach Rick Pitino said he doesn't regret criticizing his players and the program's facilities in a rant after Sunday's loss to Seton Hall. Quoting Pitino here, I was pointing out exactly in a monotone voice why we lost. I'm not always calm and certainly not when I rip someone. I was not ripping anybody. Continuing quoting Patino, I sometimes want my players to hear my words and read my words. That was my intention Sunday. Now this, once again, this is Patino speaking, Patino speaking to the media today. And he said, he was asked, did you think your comments required clarification? He said, Nope, I'm fine with what I said. Once again, in case you didn't hear, part of what he said was, aside from his players not being athletic and just not performing well, he said, quote, this is the most unenjoyable experience of my lifetime and said the program has blank facilities. Well, he wasn't complaining when the Red Storm started the season at 12-4, and but listen, they've struggled so far this year. They've lost eight of their last 10 games. These are the headlines that we're covering on ESPN New York tonight. Aaron Judge chatted with the media today as we head down to Florida. And uh, he's been very vocal. Uh, one of the things he mentioned today was if he thinks the Yankees are going to make some more moves. Here's what he had to say. I hope so. They're always working. You know, that's the thing that's amazing about being here with the Yankees is, you know, they're always trying to improve. They're always trying to make moves, you know, if it's via trade, if it's via free agency, you know, so I definitely feel like there might be another move on the way, but you never know. We'll see. Now we'll hear more from Judge later in the show. He talked about a number of different things, batting orders and uh, the new body slim down of uh, Giancarlo Stanton. But the one thing that jumped out at me, and all that he spoke about today, he talked about his toe, which he entered at Dodger Stadium last season, and said, quote, it'll have to be managed. In other words, for me, I took that to mean it still bothers him. Something to keep an eye on. This is ESPN New York Tonight with Larry Hardesty on 98.7 ESPN. You are cordially invited to come watch Anita March when she will broadcast live from the park at UBS Arena. That takes place this Saturday, February 24th, starting at noon before the Islanders matinee matchup against the Tampa Bay Lightning. We're giving away four pairs of lower bowl tickets plus one pair of premium club seats at ESPNNewYork.com or 
on the ESPN New York app. You know how to do it. Just scroll down to contest and submit your entry. Join the New York Islanders for every thrilling matchup during the month of March. Take advantage of special ticket pricing for upcoming home games at UBS Arena and be there for all the exciting action on the ice. Get your tickets today at newyorkislanders.com slash March. It's ESPN New York tonight, 1-800-919-3776. Let me just say this before I get to the calls. I have uh, been a big fan of Kenny Albert and uh, Dave Maloney during the games on radio. I'm a big fan. Big fan. I love Kenny. His work is outstanding. But so good to hear Don LaGreca on the call tonight. Oh. I love that. Ah! I love that. That's what I'm talking about. Love to hear Don on the call. Tweet he had, that. Print that. He had a really good game tonight. Really good broadcast tonight. I really enjoyed it. And he had a good one. You know, it was it was nip and tuck. I really felt that the Rangers, you know what? This They made this game closer than it really needed to be. They just missed opportunities. They, they, they had some great opportunities. It's funny. In, in a lot of the power plays that they were defending, they had better opportunities to score than Dallas did. But they were able to find a way to win, and that's what happens when you're hot. And if Ranger fans, you agree with me. If you can get this Shesterkin building momentum going to the postseason, I think you guys can go pretty deep. You guys can go pretty deep. 1-800-919-3776. Neil's in Hell's Kitchen. Neil, start us off on ESPN New York today. Okay, um, there was a great call tonight. I, I think you got to realize the the quality of the opponent tonight in Dallas. They mm-hmm. are a, they are legitimately one of the top teams in the West, and it would not shock me to see them um, in the Stanley Cup Finals and, and, and then seeing the West. Now, the one thing you said about Sesterkin, I agree with, but he can't see forty one shots a night. No. It was way, way too much, way too much rubber hitting, hitting the circuit tonight, and we can't go back that. Now, what the one point I want to make is that analytically, the Rangers have not been a great analytical team, but they they relied on the penalty kill and especially on the power play. Now, the power play is still 26%, and they dropped to about fifth in the league, which I have no problem with. 26% is awesome, but their five-on-five play has been amazing lately, and this stretch. On these last eight wins, the five-on-five play has been exceptional. And it's been the reason why they've been winning. And that's, that's the way we're going to do a deep run in the playoffs. You've got to have good five-on-five action. Yep, you so do. Sturkin, lights out, but a little too much rubber tonight. I hear you, Neil. Thanks for the phone call. You're right. You've got to have that because you're hoping not to be in the penalty box, right? You're hoping that, you know, and then when you do get those rare opportunities – because teams don't play the same way. They're not trying to be shorthanded in the postseason. You know, so you're right. Five-on-five five play is important, and they got to do a better job in, you know, blocking pucks in front of the net so he doesn't have to do all that work. But, you know, listen, you're right about Dallas. They're a very good team, as I mentioned at the top, and you got to win. And all you care about is just keep stacking the wins, stacking the wins up. Richardson, Manhattan. What's up, Richard? Larry. Yes. I can talk to you about the Rick Pitino situation, and okay. it's unfortunate, but I have to go back. All right. And I remember the exact day and the exact time. This happened in New York with a college coach 
to the college kids, and it didn't end well. I'll go back. It's September, I believe, 25th, 1985. And it was the same day, Larry, that the Larry Holmes-Michael Spinks fight went on when Michael Spinks upset uh, Larry Holmes Saturday. Well, the coach of the Columbia football team was Jim Garrett, Jason's father. I don't know if you remember this. I don't remember, but go ahead. Well, Jim Garrett was an NFL assistant coach for years, and he went back to Columbia for his master's degree. And I guess the university, and at, you know, Columbia's been terrible in football for years. So they asked Jim Garrett to coach the team. So Columbia opened up, as they usually did in those years, opening up against Harvard. And they couldn't beat Harvard for years and years. Well, I was at the game. It was at Baker Field, 1985, September. And Columbia was up 17 nothing at half. 17 nothing. Harvard scored 49 points in the second half and beat them 49-17. After the game, it was in the paper, Garrett ripped the team. He said, this team is so used to losing. They're drug-addicted losers. Wow. That was the exact quote. I'll never forget the New York Times on Sunday ran in, in their opinion, uh, the Sunday Times, their uh, opinion, uh, you know, in the editorial opinion, says the coach should be fired immediately and relieved of duty. Well, he wasn't fired. Columbia finished 0-10. Now, Jason Garrett had two, uh, two other brothers. They were all committed to Columbia. I think one was on the team, one was on the freshman team, and one was a senior in high school. They all committed. So Garrett was, uh, Jim Garrett was fired at the end of the year. Owen and then he went to Princeton as an assistant coach and brought along his sons. But I'll never forget that. And unfortunately, you know, it's an unfortunate thing. The man is, you know, since passed us. But mm-hmm. that brought, you know, the Patino thing uh, really brought that memory up to me, and I remembered it so. Well. It was the same night at the uh, Michael Spinks. Uh, uh, a Larry Holmes fight. You remember yeah. when Spinks was doing the juices yeah. and he he juiced up all his uh, you know his uh, re- you know his nutrients and all. But uh-huh. that's what happened. And Columbia fired him at the end. They were zero and ten, and yeah. you know another losing. But but I just hope Patino can survive this because it's been very disappointing. You know, especially with the the start that they had. And yeah. Col- and son- St. John's is so important to New York basketball. Because of college basketball, we have no mm-hmm. college basketball anymore, Larry. It's a shame, and uh, I mean UConn is as close as we can get, and I'm appreciative of that. But I just hope Patino can turn it around. I hope he can bounce back from this. I wish he didn't make so much attention to himself, yeah. because yeah. that that's really brings the university down. But uh, I just hope it works out all well. Okay, Larry, always all a right, pleasure. Thank. All right, thank, thanks for checking in. Listen, I'll tell you this. Um, what makes it even more critical is what we're talking about with today's players, right? How we're talking about teams in various leagues are making adjustments with managers and coaches on how you have to talk to today's players, that they don't like the hard criticism. Now, we're making a broad brush statement, okay? But, you know, once again, Kind of like what Sean Marks said today, Rick Pitino chose this team. Now, I get that there were some players that he wanted to get that he could not get, and he had to settle. But as a head coach, even when they were 12-4, and you had to know that as you got better competition and as you get into, you know, the, the tournament and conferences, 
going forward that the pressure was going to be different. You're playing better teams. And so you had to know during your practices, you had to prepare them for these things. There's other things. You saw it in practice. This is not a bad coach. This is a very smart, very strategic veteran head coach who understands the game. Rick Pitino knows more basketball. He's forgotten more basketball than I know. And I, and I played the game at, 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 you know, played the game a little bit. But he knows. And so when you're looking at your team, you have to know, okay, this is what's going to happen. What can I do to put them in a better position so that when we have teams that are faster, when we have teams that shoot better, when we have teams that are bigger and we have to – you have to make adjustments. You have to know what you have to do. You know, so you can't just talk about how the, the worst year of your coaching career – I mean, I'm not saying you can't criticize them. Of course you have to. You have to. That's Correction is how you get better. Correction is, is how they learn. They're not finished products when they come because they play ball in college. Okay, you still have to work with them. They still have to learn the game. There's still nuances to the game that they're learning. But just to me, I thought they went a little bit too far. And then as far as the... And what does the, what does the facilities have to do with it? What does the facilities have to do with why, why they're playing badly? The facilities are the reason why they've struggled and lost, what, 8 of 10 or something of that nature? So the facilities were fine when they were 12 and 4, but now that they've lost 8 out of 10, the facilities are just awful. It doesn't make any sense. Okay, just and, and the other thing that was missing, unlike Sean Marks, where's his accountability? Where's I have to do a better job at getting them up, I have to do a better job at getting them ready? Listen, I understand, and there's some, you can teach footwork. You can teach play, moving, how to defend moving over screens. You can teach that. So I, I was just, you know, I was just a little disappointed that he went so hard on them. And, you know, I get it. Not at, uh, you know, NILs and college athletes are getting paid and stuff like that. We can, we can rip them now. Come on, let's just rip them. And, and you, know, no, you know, I just... I, I just think a different tack. Now, once again, maybe he's maybe he's tried that. You know, I'm not embedded with the St. John's basketball program covering them for media. Maybe he's spoken to them. And he's just like, you know what? I'm tired of talking to them. I'm just going to rip them in the media. And when they go on social media and they go on TikTok or they go on X or they go on whatever, whatever, you know, watch YouTube or stuff like that, they will see what I had to say, what I really meant. And he might have warned them. You guys don't keep playing. I'm going to rip it. I'm going to let everybody know just how bad you guys are. So we all have the conversation. We all have spoken about it. Ultimately, we'll see if it works. How will, they, how will that team respond going forward? If they put forth a winning streak, he's going to be a brilliant coach. What a brilliant move by Rick Pitino. All those people called, all these people criticizing him and ripping him for ripping those kids. They don't know what they're talking about. Look what they, look how those kids are responding. Look at that. Patino knows his guys. And if they still lose, oh, jeez. Great job, Patino, trying to get your team going, huh? How'd that work out for you? It's, ultimately, he made the choice. So now, is it good or bad? We'll find out. This is ESPN New York Tonight with Larry Hardesty on 98.7 ESPN. 
Yeah, I think he would actually be a, a great fit with the New York Jets, and here's why. Oh, my gosh. Why you want to Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson? Absolutely. Pay him a million dollars and let him resurrect his career. <laughs> I actually have experience with this. Vinny Testaverde got cut by the Baltimore Ravens. We signed him in June and went to the championship game that year. So if you're if you're Russell Wilson and you don't That's get I know uh, early, Mike. Hey Bart, if you but if where, where else is he gonna go? He has to resurrect his career. So if you have to sit for a year, why not sit behind one of the greatest of all times and then be a free agent again? It's when, 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 when I was reasons. guys, where is he going to go? He's 36 years old. No one's going to hand him a starting job. He's going to have to be a backup somewhere. Nathaniel Hackett should be, you know, happy to have a job and he should get the players that he's given better. <laughs> and and that's the bottom line. That's the, that's the definition of a coach. Take the players you have and get them better. So to me, look, I understand that like to have Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson in the same room comes with some angst. But my question to you guys is who's the veteran experienced inexpensive quarterback that if Aaron Rodgers at 41 years old coming off an Achilles tendon injury is going to play quarterback for the Jets in 2024? Mike Tannenbaum. Talk about doubling down. First, you heard Mike Tannenbaum yesterday on Get Up where he had uh, our Bart Scott just checking his coffee to see what was in there. And then today he was on with DiPietro and Grassa. It's normally DNR. This week it's D&D. And he said, yeah, look, you know, I, I, they asked him, wouldn't it be a conflict? Or would it be a possible conflict, you know, with Russell Wilson being reunited with Nathaniel Hackett? And that was his thought process. Nathaniel Hackett's got to step it up. You know, his job is to make the adjustments. But Mike, with all due respect, he can't make adjustments. We saw that last year. Nathaniel Hackett couldn't make adjustments. If it's not the Aaron Rodgers way to do things, it's not going to go. It's simple as that. So uh, it's just unbelievable. Here's what we do know. We do know that one of the major things the Jets have to do in this offseason, and you look at the various mock drafts and they're driving me crazy, but obviously the priority for them is to get, you know, solid, to screw up that offensive line. But also on that wish list from offensive line and some more depth at receiver is, honestly, who's the backup quarterback? And it's got to be a veteran backup quarterback. And no, they don't have a lot of money to, 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 to have. Now, of course... They've got some things that they can do. They can, you know, restructure some contracts and put some other things into bonuses and, you know, work work their magic. I mean, that's what capologists do. They are one of the most important team, important members of the front office of every football team in the National Football League. So we get that. We know that if they have to, they can restructure some things. But I just don't think that Russell Wilson is the answer to have here with the Jets. You can find somebody else. Russell Wilson, and I get what Mike T is saying about, you know, the situation where he's been and the years have not been kind to him in Denver. And, uh, you know, Sean Payton has not been his most ardent supporter. So we get all that. But if Russell Wilson is going to go somewhere, Russell Wilson's trying to go. If I'm Russell Wilson, I'm trying to go to a place where, okay, I have a I have a chance to start. And I mean to be the starter. Not while well, I'm sitting here hoping that, you know, Aaron Rodgers is going to get hurt at 41. 
You know, I'm I'm not I'm not thinking that way. I'm thinking that, you know, I have a chance because we got a young quarterback and he's not available or he's got some issues and you know, he's not performed well and you know, there's a couple of other places where I think he could go. Now, yeah, he's going to have to take a huge pay cut. All right, to go somewhere else. But I I mean, come on, the Jets that's not what the Jets need. The Jets have enough issues without having a combative quarterback room where you've got somebody that's going to second-guess every move that you make other than Aaron Rodgers. I mean, other than Aaron Rodgers second-guessing Hackett. And he's just not going to second-guess Hackett. He's just not going to run what Hackett wants to run. He'll look at it. He'll, you know, audible out of it and do what he wants to do. So I, that's not going to be the thing that's going to work for them. You know, Jacoby Brissett is more of a quarterback that, that you're looking for. But once again, the issue becomes, if I am a backup quarterback, I want to go someplace where I know I could possibly play more than just a couple of games. And yeah, realistically, you know, you, yeah, realistically, could Aaron Rodgers get hurt again? Sure, Absolutely. Especially, and he's not the only one. Look at the amount of quarterbacks that got hurt in the national starters that got hurt in the National Football League last year. Was it 15? 16? I mean, you're looking at half the league. Had somebody else as a starting quarterback last year. Some had two or three different ones. Jets. So, I, I understand what Mike T is saying, but I don't believe, I don't believe if he were the GM here, I don't know that he would say, I don't know that he would bring Russell Wilson in. I just don't. I don't think he would. So in theory, what he's saying, yeah, but I don't, and I don't know that Russell Wilson looks at himself that way either. I just don't. I think Russell Wilson feels that he still has something left and he didn't have a bad season last year. His season last year was much better than the previous season. Not saying much, but it was much better. And plus, if I'm him and I know Nathaniel Hackett too, why would I want to come here? I don't want to come here. I don't want to go, go through that, quote, nightmare season, unquote, that he went through in 2022. Why would he want to come and work with Nathaniel Hackett again? Why does he think that Nathaniel Hackett... When he looked at him last season and saw that he had improved from some of the stuff he, he ran in Denver, that things are better? I don't believe so. So that's a big no for me. A big time no. But I'm glad that somebody's reminding the Jets that they have to have a backup quarterback this year. Would have helped if they had a, a really good backup quarterback last season. It might have changed some things. But for them, definitely, it's really about what we're doing with the offensive line, what's happening there, where we're going, what's the story, how can we get this old line better? And then, of course, there's some pretty good, you know, free, there's some pretty good guys that are on this team that they have to make some decisions on also whether they're bringing them back or not. Okay. And Bryce Huff is one of them. I mean, that pass rushing, I mean, he was big, he was big on pressuring the passer. And he's not looking, from what I'm reading, he doesn't want a hometown discount. So what are the Jets going to do there? 